Okay, we're back, or I should say I'm back uh, for uh, Rogue Table Talks, number 67. Uh, just Mike here, flying solo. Chad is, is traveling. Uh, I'm just back uh, from vacation. So this might be a little briefer than uh, some episodes, probably will be. Uh, it'll just be me, uh, although when I've done it in the past, it's just me. It hasn't been briefer, but I think this probably will be. Uh, and we're going to talk about um, what it means to be obligated to one another. What is it? What is it? What does flourishing together look like? Uh, how am I tied to you, and how are you tied to me, and how are we tied to those around us? Uh, and and uh, what impact does that have uh, as we live our lives? Uh, and I think you know we can start with lots of situations when uh, we feel like there is uh, an obligation or maybe we're wondering whether there's an obligation to step in and help somebody uh, when somebody's on the side of the road uh, is there is uh, what is my obligation uh, to step in and help somebody uh, if they're asking for money if they're changing a tire uh, you know, if somebody was, um, you know, in a neighborhood uh, changing a tire, neighborhood street, and they looked like they had things well in hand, oh, I might just pass on by, perhaps. Uh, if somebody was uh, in a car and uh, it was burning, uh, obviously, it's a much different, much more urgent situation. And we can see in some cases, well, obviously, you, you have to help. You're obligated to help. That's what you can't just drive by. Uh, and drive by, driving by is not a neutral uh, activity. Um, and so, so those things are easy to see. But in some ways, I think we're in the situation of uh, our flourishing, maybe conflicting with uh, my own flourishing, conflicting with somebody else's flourishing in a way I'm not really uh, always thinking about, perhaps. And, you know, what does it look like for us to flourish together? What does it look like for, uh, for a, if I have a business, uh, what does it look like to have a flourishing business that honors everybody else, that honors employees, that doesn't uh, exploit uh, customers, that doesn't, uh, you know, defraud uh, uh, competitors, perhaps? What is it possible to have a full, a full flourishing and exploit? Is it possible to have a full, full flourishing and defraud? And how do we support the flourishing of those in need? And at what point is that something that does begin to impact me and impact us? Uh, and so I think we immediately think of political situations or business situations where there's sort of a public thing uh, and we're going to have public policy or we're going to run our business in such a way because we're interacting with the public. Uh, but I think it even goes farther than that and beyond that. And uh, we're going to look at a passage from the book of Nehemiah. And we've looked at some passages from Ezra and Nehemiah as we're going forward just to kind of wrestle with this question. Uh, and, you know, where we are in the story is the people of Israel were in exile. They were in exile because they had turned away from from God's plan and God's identity and God's law and God's worship. And uh, so they were defeated. Temple was destroyed. The city was destroyed. They were taken into exile. Miraculously, they were allowed to return 70 years later by God's plan. And 
the temple was rebuilt and religious practice was uh, begun again. The wall uh, is rebuilt now that Nehemiah has come back. Ezra was was uh, reenacting the worship and, and restarting that. Nehemiah is building the wall in the city. Um, and then they, so that's, it seems like, okay, they're back. The temple's built, the wall's built. The, uh, the temple's in operation. The people of God are back to being the people of God. Uh, and then we read in, in Nehemiah 5 uh, that this is going on. Uh, now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. So this is, this whole thing, this whole passage deals with uh, dispute and conflict and a situation that's between uh, between the people of God, between Jews. So this is not, there's no foreigners here. This is all within who they are as the people of God. Uh, they raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax in our fields and vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. That's Nehemiah saying he was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as possible, we have brought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. So I continued, what you're doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain, but let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses, and also the interest you are charging them, 1% of the money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. We will give it back, they said and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. Then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. So again, where they are in the story is they went into exile as slaves, and then they have come back free. And of course, many people come back and they're restarting their lives. And so they need to eat. Um, you know, uh, they need to plant. Uh, they need to live. And there were some among their fellow people who were exploiting that situation uh, because they perhaps were the only ones available to lend to them. And so they lent to them at exorbitant interest. And basically, uh, they were forfeiting their land, forfeiting their possessions, even uh, sending their children into slavery uh, to pay these obligations uh, that were put on them by their fellow people. And so it was a complete contradiction of really who they are and who they're supposed to be. And, uh, and some, you know, if you look at that from a purely business perspective, some might say, well, um, you know, that's what they had to do. They had to get the money somewhere. And, you know, the business people are just being business people. Uh, you know, that's business. Uh, everybody does it. Um, but everybody, first of all, doesn't do it. Uh, and even if they did, it's a it's not only a violation of uh, the identity of God's people, it's a violation of, of the Old Testament 
law. And so let's look at this a little bit and see what, you know, what it, what it says to us about our obligations to others. And, you know, one is, I think, what we can, in a sense, legally get away with when it comes to business relationships does not mean that it's moral. Uh, it might be a, um, a contradiction of who we are, uh, especially as we are identified as God's people, uh, that we have to be fair, we have to be open-handed, that we can flourish and not have that flourishing be at the expense of other people. We can flourish and not have that flourishing uh, be something that uh, takes away from someone else, that we can flourish together. Um, and if you look at what Nehemiah does here and, and what the people do, uh, it's not charity. They don't say we need to give them things, um, but we need to lend to them to allow them to do what they need to do and operate and start a business and plant their plant their fields and uh, uh, be in their homes without defrauding them, without charging exorbitant interest. And there, as a way, really, the, the exorbitant interest was really just as a way to say, well, I know they're not going to be able to repay this. And so it's, I'm, I'm going to be able to take their fields from them, uh, the land that's rightly, right, rightfully theirs, uh, uh, and, and gain some, something I shouldn't have because I have the ability to lend to them. Uh, and you know Nehemiah isn't necessarily saying we need to give them give somebody in need everything they they need, uh, but he's saying you can't defraud them. Uh, you have to lend to them without expectation for their benefit, uh, and they will repay, but they'll repay on, on fair terms that can allow for the flourishing uh, of both. And I think that's something that uh, as we think about you know what. What is my um, what is my obligation to those around me? People I know, or people I don't know, people in the church, people in the community, uh, and is this a political question, uh, or is it a, a personal question, uh, or is it both? And I I think it's both. Um, in this case, Nehemiah has become the de facto governor, um, and, but he's appealing to the Old Testament law, which was both a political entity entity, but also a moral ent entity. Uh, appeal to the Old Testament law not to exploit others, not to exploit uh, the Israelites, not to exploit, uh, or the st stranger in the land, uh, and which can apply to politics, of course, but extends to, to any area of life. Uh, and it's a mindset of, is my flourishing set against the flourishing of somebody else. And so that's really the question I kind of want to get to and, and uh, ponder for a couple of minutes uh, as you're listening to this wherever you are. Is it my assumption that in order for me to flourish, somebody else has to not flourish or has to flourish less? Like there's only so much in the flourishing pie. And the bigger my slice is, the smaller your slice is. Is that how we view it? Uh, or is do we not see it as a pie at all? Uh, do we see it, we're in this bigger story and God can cause all of us to flourish. And our flourishing doesn't have to be in competition with, with each other. That your good can be celebrated as my good and my good can be celebrated, celebrated as your good. 
is that is that really how we see it? Uh, and if so it comes back to who who am I really? What story am I really in? And what seems like must be true isn't necessarily the way things are if I'm in this bigger story. What makes sense in the bigger story, as we keep saying, doesn't seem to always make sense uh, in the in the smaller story. And I think that can apply to politics, to business, to interpersonal relationships, uh, to any other sort of uh, relationship we have. How do I see it? Uh, and beyond that, if my brother or sister is really being exploited, uh, downtrodden, can I really flourish fully? Uh, can I flourish fully while my brother or sister is being exploited? Um, and I think it, on the one hand, we might say, well, of course it happens all the time. Uh, but I wonder if it does. Uh, I wonder if as we're in this bigger story, what, it, what it might be is, uh, people can seem to be flourishing at the expense of others, but is that really going to be flourishing in the big story? And I'm going to say no. Because uh, another way to ask the question is, am I, am I my brother's keeper? Uh, and the answer to that question is yes, I am my brother's keeper. Uh, that is who I am made to be. Uh, and when Jesus says, I come and you, that you might have life and have it to the full, have this flourishing life, he has something in mind that's different than the, what I would choose in my own, what I would define as flourishing. And his definition of flourishing is going to be uh, not in, uh, is, 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 is going to be include the flourishing of other people, not in competition with. In fact, if those around me are being are not flourishing, then I can't fully uh, flourish uh, in that life. And of course, we won't get full shalom, full flourishing um, until we are uh, together in the next age. Uh, so it goes even beyond. Um, can I flourish, uh, you know, uh, is my flourishing in competition with somebody else? Does somebody else have to flourish yet less for me to flourish more? It goes beyond that to, can I flourish fully if somebody, if those around me, particularly my brothers and sisters are not flourishing, if they're being exploited, if they're being downtrodden, uh, does it impact me? Cause that's really what the question, am I my brother's keeper, is asking, what does it have to do with me? That's bad for them, but what does it have to do with me? Am I my brother's keeper? And the answer is, yes, we are our brother's keeper and our sister's keeper. And it goes back to, what is my life about? Who am I really? What story am I really in? Uh, and uh, it makes me think, and where I'm going to land the plane uh, in the short uh, episode is, uh, in Luke 10, where the expert in the law, you know, what's required in the law, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, and the expert says, seeking to justify himself and who is my neighbor. And then Jesus in reply tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. And so that if we go back to, you know, what really is a life of flourishing, it's loving the Lord, your God, with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself. Let all the law and the prophets hang on those commandments. 
And as we live out the gospel and we, and we become more like Christ, then God is love. God is gracious. Uh, God's love is sacrificial. We will begin to have sacrificial love for other people. Uh, and then if I am not loving my neighbor, how can it really be flourishing? How can a life really be flourishing? And what does that even mean? It kind of goes, goes back to the question of what do, what do we define as flourishing? Is it simply monetarily and materially? Uh, well, I can monetarily and materially flourish at the expense of my neighbor, but is that really what flourishing is uh, in this big story that, we are, that we're in? Or is it much more than that? And if it's more, much more than that, then it's, it's possible, and I would say it's, it's actual, that if uh, I can't flourish at the expense of my brother or sisters, that's not, that's not flourishing. Uh, it, there isn't a flourishing pie, and my, my piece takes away from your piece. And if I have to have a bigger piece, that means you have to have a smaller piece. Uh, it's not like that at all. Uh, in fact, it's the opposite of that, uh, that I can't flourish unless you get a bigger piece, if your piece is too small. And I think that's the crazy upside down logic of, of a flourishing life that we can tend to uh, betray, we will betray if left to our own devices. It's, it's sort of against uh, all of our impulses that uh, my flourishing is really tied to my, the flourishing of a brother or sister. Uh, and yet God somehow has tied his, his, his joy to our redemption uh, in a way that's mysterious. Uh, and he calls us to be like him. Uh, and so I think that's, you know, kind of where I want us to, 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 to ponder that, to what extent, uh, what does that mean for me? Uh, and how, if I'm concerned with the flourishing of others, how will that lead to, to, to my own life of flourishing, the life that God has for me? Uh, and I'm not sure exactly how that uh, turns out. I'm not, I'm not prescribing a certain mode of politics. Uh, I'm, not prescri I'm not necessarily prescribing any, any particular action. I'm raising the question of, do I view my own flourishing as being tied to the flourishing of others? And do I view my own faithfulness in this God story I am in tied to other people that are in the God story with me and who, who will be uh, with me forever? And in the case of here in Nehemiah, people of God betrayed the, the, the bigger story they were in by, by basically you know, taking the scarcity mentality for his flourishing, where for me to flourish more, you have to flourish less. Uh, and for me to have more, you have to have less. Uh, and this is what Nehemiah calls them out against. And they really, it says they have nothing to say. When Nehemiah accuses them, they're like, yeah, there's really no excuse for what we're doing. It, it made sense in, in the moment. Uh, but upon reflection of who we really are as God's people, it doesn't make sense at all. And it wasn't going to lead to their flourishing. Um, and that's uh, hopefully what uh, being together as God's people, reading his word, uh, pondering together what it might mean, will lead us away from what we might do naturally and toward mutual flourishing. And that doesn't necessarily mean materially, of course. Uh, but it could be, could be that, but it could be in all sorts of ways, uh, in peace and love and wisdom uh, that 
my gain is not your loss, uh, that we're not in competition, uh, and that for us, for me really to flourish, I need to work towards your flourishing and vice versa. Uh, and so with that, I'm gonna leave it there uh, and encourage us to think about the life we're in, the story we're in, uh, what flourishing looks like, and how we can work towards the, a mutual uh, flourishing uh, for each other. Uh, with that, grace and peace. Thanks for listening to Rogue Table Talks, a Calvary Church Media Productions podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.